0: Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon, and I am excited to welcome you all here to the Tansen Talk Show, where my mission is to help bring people together. This has always been such a fun time being able to do this podcast, but it makes it even better being able to speak with the amazing guest I have on. And so for today, please allow me to introduce my guest today, Delegate Shelly Simons. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Of course, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. So first of all, thank you so much for willing to be here on this summer day.
1: It's a great day and summer is a great time to reflect on uh, the past year. And um, there's been a lot happening in Newport News and in Virginia politics. So really excited to have the discussion.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to have you on. And so, so yeah, so are you able to take a moment to go ahead and introduce yourself for those who may be watching or listening here today?
1: Sure. I'm Delegate Shelley Simons. I represent part of Newport News in the Virginia House. I was first elected in 2019 and I'll be up for re-election this fall, November 7. Um, It was a pretty tough journey Um, being elected to the House of Delegates. It was a journey that definitely Humbled me uh, over the years. Um, I've won elections, I've lost elections. I even had a tied election that some of you all um, might remember. But I think what it what it really showed me was how important participation is and how every vote counts. And, um, you know, I, I hope that everyone who's able to register to vote uh, does so so that your voice can be heard in the community. Uh, right now, um, I serve on the Education Committee in the Virginia House. I'm a former teacher, so um, trying to make sure we have the, the best, most qualified teachers in the classroom and that teaching is the best job in the state of Virginia has always been my goal. And I'm, I'm also serving on the Natural Resources Agriculture Committee, which is another passion of mine, protecting the environment, environmental justice. And then finally, the Privileges and Elections Committee, which uh, deals with voting rights and um, the governance of elections in Virginia. And that has also been a super interesting committee and very relevant for me personally, after having had my, my own Um, ups and downs with the uh, electoral system. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to to continue the conversation and, and see what else you think listeners might be interested in.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely excited to have this conversation. And so before we get into your time now as, you know, of course, a delegate for the, you know, the Virginia House of Delegates. So I know of course you are a former teacher and so had teaching always been your passion?
1: Actually, um, no, no. (laughs) I studied anthropology and political science in college. I actually did a lot of um, theater. I was very um, creative person um, um, in in university. And then I um, ended up living overseas I studied in Spain when I was in high school for a year, and then I lived in Chile in South America for two years. So um, I speak Spanish fluently. And when I was in Chile, I had the opportunity to work in journalism, and I really, really loved it, and then went on um, to get a master's in journalism from Stanford University, And um, was a journalist for a few years and then went on to be an editor and a writer for a university publication. And that, I think, is where I really became a good writer because, um, you know, writing isn't something you're just born with. You you have to practice it and you have to edit your articles and your content over and over again. And I was doing... um, summaries of university research and kind of taking what the universities studied and making it palatable and interesting for the everyday reader, you know, um, like taking somebody's PhD and, and trying to make it interesting uh, for grandma or Aunt Betty. Um, and uh, I think journalism was a really good practice for being in politics because now we do need to be able to, um, condense issues and make them tangible and make them real for people. So, um, journalism was my first career. And then I took some time off to, um, have my children. And then, um, I fell into Spanish teaching because at my daughter's school, Hilton elementary, they needed a spanish teacher and um, i i stepped up to to do that and just absolutely fell in love with the school environment um, to be honest the newsroom environment was pretty pretty competitive and not real warm and friendly and then I get into the school environment where we're all on the same team and we all care about students. And it was life-changing. I mean, really, it, it, it was, I bonded so much with public schools and um, the needs of teachers. And I, um, I remember thinking, if we could just have parental leave for teachers, everything would be so much better. Or if we could just have um, this program at healthy, healthy food program in our schools for lunch, it would be so much better. And so even as a teacher, I was kind of thinking about policy and thinking about what we could do uh, to improve our schools. So um, from from there, I went on to be a PTA president and then I was elected to the school board and then um, after that was um, elected to the Virginia House. But it was, you know, anybody who's really interested in getting into politics, I would say, you know, you have to first dedicate yourself to an issue. You know, you have to find your sandbox and then you have to serve and you have to fight for that issue kind of at the micro level, at the local level, whether it be with a club or whether it be on a city Committee, um, or a uh, city council, or planning commission, or something to really um, dig into locally.
0: Yeah, I mean that's really interesting how like you just sort of grew and evolved from your time doing, you know, journalism to learn expansion, being immersed within the culture, and then you know because of your children going into you know to teaching and then shifting over to policy. I mean. <laughs> What's so interesting is how smooth of a transition it seems at least by the way you described it from one to another.
1: Well it was over 20 years. <laughs> I'm kind of old I'm 55 <laughs> so but I, I think that for young people it's really important to know that you there are many phases in your life. Um, you know you you may work in one job for a while and then you may, might transition to another job or you may find something else you're passionate about. And if you if you do the things you love, I think um, one thing does lead to another. And that that's now as a parent watching my daughters who graduated from Warwick High School, uh, watching their career path is, is fascinating um, because I, I know there's so much opportunity out there. And, you know, as parents, like you kind of use education and and you wind your kids up and then they're like crazy little toys and they run around and do all kinds of amazing things. And as a mom, I just get to watch. And, um, you know, as a former teacher, I feel that way with a lot of my students, my former students, I have them working on campaigns. Um, One of my former students is um, actually working um, for Planned Parenthood now. So it's just, just, a lot of amazing opportunities
0: that is so great and so how is it for you like in particular going from yet you know, teaching and being a pta president to then deciding to run for the school board like what made you do that initial push
1: <laughs> well okay this this is a truth about uh, women in politics that we're, we're fighting to change this, but generally women need to be asked to run for something. They don't usually see themselves as a leader. Um, there was a, a study in Britain where they had people draw what they thought a leader looked like, and the leader was always a man in a suit with a tie. So. It's a very um, strong um, tendency that we have to not, for women, especially to not see ourselves as, as leaders. And, um, but other people see us doing leadership things. They see us taking responsibility. It's not easy to be president of a club or the PTA. Um, that's, that's a sacrifice that you make for the community. And um, when, you, when you see people who are acting like a leader, then um, you often will get promoted by those around you. So if, you know, if you're interested in politics or leadership, do that thing be be a leader in some organization and then you you will be asked to take more responsibility in the community and and run for the next thing
0: that is so interesting and so and so like for you when you initially like went for how was the overall like experience like running because that was that your first like campaign that you had to initially run for the school board
1: So uh, I ran for the school board in 2012 and did pretty much did, did it by myself with the help of a few of my friends. And, um, I was lucky that I had some mentorship from some of the folks that were on the school board then who had run and they helped me order signs and, um, they helped me with graphics and, um, know how to knock on doors and um early on i i had some volunteers who i'm still good friends with who helped me knock on on doors for that campaign and um and i won um not by a lot but i i won and then i realized that i i enjoyed i enjoyed knocking on doors i enjoyed campaigning so i volunteered in 2013 for, um, um, a local, um, firefighter who was running for the house of delegates. And I volunteered for his campaign. And, um, because I had experience, I, I kind of got in the, in the middle of it. And of course I was knocking on doors a lot and doing, you know, the, the, the groundwork, um, the basic, Uh, tough work that you have to do in campaigns. But, you know, I was also in the office and I was hearing about the strategy and I, I kind of came to realize that I, I loved it. I, I loved campaigning. It was all of the, um, political drama that you would ever, you know, expect working, working on campaigns, um, in addition to the hard work. So, um, in 15, um, Senator John Miller was up for re-election, and he asked me if I would run for the Virginia House of Delegates. So that was the first time I ran in 2015. And, um, you know, I had never run um, such a big campaign. We ended up doing TV ads. Um, we ended up, um, oh, it was probably half a million dollar race back then. Um I'm not sure the exact number, so don't quote me on that, but it was a, it was a big deal. And I would say I was, um, very much, um, there as, um, as someone who needed advice, needed to be managed, um, needed to be kind of told how, how to run a campaign. Now, um, that i've won um uh, gosh how many years later is it like seven years later i now i feel like i know how to run a campaign much much better i'm much more hands-on with my campaigns um you know i'm i'm lucky i have a team that really um wants to um work with me we i wanted to do an internship program and they were like yeah let's do it and so we just had our first internship uh weekend with our interns and their high school and um, many college students are in the internship program with us. But um, you know, that's the, that's the type of thing that um, doesn't always happen in a campaign. You kind of have to make it happen. But um, I, I, I think campaigns are great. It's a good time to talk to the community and uh, talk about your values and be, be held accountable to the community and listen listen to what their priorities are. And I I can tell you, I'm hearing a lot about education out there right now.
0: That's so interesting, you know, I mean, to hear about that, that part of your journey and trying to, you know, from going from your own, you know, school board campaigns when you're initially starting off to helping other people with their campaigns and then being pushed to, you know, to run yourself in the House of Delegates, a seat that, you know, that you've now had for, I believe this is your second term? So I'm
1: running for a third term. So I've i have um, represented part of Newport News for um, four years now.
0: Well, first of all, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, because I know that, you know, that you have sought the seat for a while. So I'm so glad that, you know, you're able to have an MBA. Yeah, you know, speaking with us, and so how has your experience, you know, been thus far? Being like within this position—is this how you sort of thought it would be when you ran for the first time?
1: Um, I guess I—I I don't think I appreciated how complex the um, the legislative process can be. Um. Not, not only are we working on our legislation in the House and um, negotiating and um, essentially convincing our colleagues to vote for our legislation, but there's a whole other um, learning curve when you go to the Senate and you need to talk to... Um, your counterparts in the Senate and there are different politics going on in the Senate. And then there's yet another layer. If, if you're fortunate and your bill passes the Senate, often there's a conference committee at the end where there's more negotiations and um, it, it happens very quickly and it's not always uh, what it seems. Um, for instance, you get assigned to a conference committee and um the first time i was assigned to a conference committee i was waiting for the committee meeting where is the conference committee where are we meeting there was no meeting like even though they call it a conference committee it wasn't a committee meeting it was uh, finding um, someone and um, having a conversation with them, like having side conversations with them. So, sorry, my dog's making a little bit of noise in the background. Maybe we can. I'll close. We'll close the door here. <laughs> sorry about that.
0: Oh, good, but but that's so interesting. You know, I mean, to hear about that experience, and even for you, I guess to. I guess further that question. So from you shifting from I guess campaigning about what you want to do to actually being in the position to do it. I guess how did that sort of shift for you? Because I'm sure it's a little bit different, you know, to to say one thing but then actually being able to do it.
1: Um yeah, you know, it's a lot of it is learning how to navigate the um the legislative uh system. My first year, I focused a lot on um, legislation. I had a bill to require that every middle school student take a semester of class in computer science and coding because STEM education has been really um, a passion of mine. And that was, um, that was, a, that was a tough bill, and it, it did not pass. Um, and then I realized... That um, oh, just a second. I guess we should just let her Sorry, <laughs> my dog is giving us trouble. Um, and then I I, re- I realized that um, the budget process is a way that I could really um, bring home resources to Newport News, and I passed a budget amendment to um, create a new drone program at the Denby Aviation Academy. And they've done some amazing things at Denby Aviation, Um, renovating the building, creating new labs, creating new courses, getting new technology. They have um, amazing um, flight simulators in the program now. And, And a lot of that money was because of a budget amendment I put in. Um, This cycle, I have a budget amendment for Warwick High School's health sciences program, and um, we won't see if that stays in the budget. I am very hopeful that it will, but um, that's, that's another example of a really important STEM program that I am trying to bring resources to so that we can rebuild the labs and and actually get resources in there. And um, technology is so important in many of these career fields. Do you guys want to see my dog? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Come here, Layla. Layla, say hi. She's got her toy. (laughs)
0: Well, that nevertheless is great, and first of all, thank you so much for those contributions that yeah that you have made towards furthering education, you know, especially public education, because yeah, you know, it really is the foundation of I mean our basic understanding, especially you know early on within um, middle schools and high school, elementary, middle, and high schools.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I think that when when we think about education policy. It's easy to focus on um, the legislation, um, which are mandates, oftentimes unfunded mandates on uh, local school systems. But there are other ways that a policymaker um, can influence and improve education. The budget is is a really important way. Uh, Right now, we're in um, an intense budget negotiation between um, the Senate and their version of the budget and the governor. And the Senate version has $20 million more for Newport News Public Schools for right here. It would be almost $800 more per student. So um, you can really see where where the values are there. Um, The House version and the governor's version of the budget... um, would like to see tax cuts for wealthy individuals and for corporations. Um, On the democratic side, we do not feel um, those are as urgent and as necessary as investments in schools. Um, We have a a mental health crisis with many of our students post-pandemic. We also have a lot of learning loss that occurred during the pandemic, especially in math and reading that we need to address. We have a huge increase in English language learners in Virginia. We need more resources uh, to help them. And then we also have um, a need for more early childhood education and more quality daycare settings. And that's really part of education because um, children are, are learning from the day they are born. And we need to make sure that parents have the, the resources they need for um, childcare, so that they can contribute to the economy and go back to work. So those are some of the big issues. But then on top of all of that, add teacher shortages in Virginia. So And, and those go all the way through. We have teacher shortages when it comes to early childhood education and when it comes to high school. And when it comes to career and technical training, um, we need more people who can train um, uh, g- recent graduates to become welders and to become electricians. And I'm, I'm proud to be working closely with some of our union friends in the trades and plumbers and pipe fitters and IBEW. The unions really are where they have a lot of um, talent in terms of, of teaching and passing on um, that kind of, um, skill set that so many young people need. So I, I think what you're going to find in the next legislative session is a lot of talk about, um, teacher recruitment, um, teacher retention. And I myself plan on putting in a bill studying, uh, the teaching workforce and, um, Reimagining the teacher workday. Um, I think that the teacher workday was really developed um, at the turn of the century based around um, women who were um, also mothers who might not have had a lot of other options. Women today have a lot of options. And if we don't provide a civilized work environment where they can take a 30 minute lunch, or where they can, um, you know, have, have a, a civilized break um, from their workday. Um, I think we're, we're going to lose teachers to professions that do. You know, if you can go be an accountant and have an hour-long lunch, uh, you're, you might choose to be an accountant if you're good at math. Um, but we need, we need math teachers. I think we also need to look at um, the structure of the school day in terms of time. I think um, right now, teachers are expected to do a lot on their own time at home. They're expected to grade papers at night. And we need to build into the school day more planning time, more collaboration time for teachers. That may mean changing around the school day. And I, I know, Brandon, you, could, you would probably appreciate this. Why are we starting school at 7 a.m.? Why? Why, why don't we start school at 8 a.m. and finish at 5 p.m. to match the workday? You could actually stop classes at 3 and you could have the last two hours of the day be for um, sports and band and the arts and drama and um, things that um, bring meaning to our lives and uh, weave into that 8 to 5 um, some planning time. And then you could increase teacher pay. If they're going to be in the building longer, you, we should pay them. Whatever percentage time more they're in the building longer, they should get that uh, increased pay. So that, that's really um, part of my vision for Virginia is just making education work for families, making it work for teachers. And as I said before, making teaching the best job. In the state of Virginia
0: I absolutely love that and you know I've always really like enjoyed hearing your devotion to yeah, you know, to the teaching profession to the community and I guess where would you say so how would you say that for New Print News that you know what is the true value of education here as opposed to sort of the rest of Virginia especially being such a such a big stem heavy area <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, I I loved being on the Newport News School Board because I felt like we were one of the most innovative school systems in the state. Um, STEM education has been a focus for a long time, and we have some amazing STEM labs and resources um, across the city. I mean, just look at Denby High School and the Denby Aviation Academy, for example, so I, I love the innovative spirit of our teachers and our administration. You know, we also have the um, international baccalaureate program at Warwick High School, which is um, f- quite famous in the state of Virginia. I mean, we, we get more kids into UVA and um, with great scholarships than just about any um, high school around. So um I do think we have some great educational opportunities in Newport News. Um, you know, we, we are an urban school system, so we, we have pockets of students who just have a lot of challenges. Um, we have areas where students, um, they might not get enough food in their homes. And when they come to school, that's where they're going to get a hot meal. Um, that's maybe where they're going to get um, their reading instruction. We have a lot of um, families um, who've come from other places, a lot of English language learners, and they rely on um, public schools to provide instruction. You know, they might not have a book read to them at home. Um, they, they might not have the, those words of encouragement or the career guidance that they're going to get um, in schools. So I I think that um, we need to make sure we have the wraparound services in those schools. One of the big policy debates right now going on at the state level is um, how we can, quote, unquote, lift the support cap which is a very fancy uh, way of saying, how can we get more state funding for more positions, support positions in our schools? Right now, the state of Virginia isn't fully funding a lot of important positions, um, like, for instance, attendance officers, school secretaries, nurses, um, even assistant principals. I I was very um, moved. I I had a meeting with the Virginia Educators Association, and they they support teachers, right? They're the union for teachers, and part of that meeting, they said, "Hey, we need more assistant principals in our schools." That's not even their membership, but they know how important assistant principals are in a school building. And, um, you know, a lot of teachers will say that they're concerned about um, behaviors in class. Assistant principals are really important for um, setting expectations and um, holding students accountable and being there as a sounding board. If students have problems, assistant principals can support students and help them find the the resources and the services that they might need. So I, I do think... Um, all of us would like to have more assistant principals and more funding for those positions in Newport News and, and across the state.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you are, you know, first of all, you know, taking your time, especially, yeah, especially now, and, you know, going to speak to the people that you represent and, yeah, you know, and really getting to hear like what, you know, what they have to say, what their concerns are. And overall, like you said earlier, like listening to what everyone has to say, because truly that's really the importance of your position is to help represent us. So I'm very appreciative that you are willing to take that time to, yeah, I mean, to really just listen to everyone's concerns and take action for it.
1: You know, last night I um, had a really good call with Virginia New Majority. And what I was hearing from them loud and clear is really, um, the need for more housing in the community, and also um, to re-examine some of the zoning, exclusionary zoning, in um, cities and towns across Virginia, and I'm very supportive of those efforts. But um, you know, I, I know I've talked a lot about education, but um, what I'm I'm also hearing a lot about um, the need for affordable um, housing for at, at all levels, at all levels. I mean. As a mom, I, I want my daughters to be able to come back and afford to find a place to rent because they they're not gonna be able to afford to buy a house right away. So um we we need places that people can afford to live and um that's gonna be a, a big focus as well for the General Assembly.
0: That's really great that you're yeah, that you are like working to try to figure out solutions for that and are there any other like main priorities especially as we are yeah well now going through the november election
1: um well so we've talked a little bit about um some of the main main areas of focus for me i I have been an environmental activist for a long time and i'm in communication with um local activist groups and the Sierra Club. And um, I just, I've attended a couple events with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation as well. So I would say um, some environmental justice issues like um, extreme heat is one thing that I've, I've heard about from people on the doors. That means we need more tree canopy in our urban areas, better planning so that we're ready for coastal flooding, um, so that we have um, infrastructure that um, is resilient when it comes to um, not just sea level rise, but, but also extreme heat. Um, I, I feel that Hampton Roads Transit has really been listening, and they're increasing the number of bus shelters around the city because it's just too hot. It's too hot to ride public transit. Um, a a lot of times. So um, I think dealing with extreme heat is important. Another environmental issue I'm passionate about is um, making sure that if we have mining, new mining operations in Virginia, that um, they are done safely and that we have proper laws on the books for new mining operations. There have been, um, and this would be like, And anybody who's listening who wants to to dig into this, um, this is some interesting history for Virginia. um, There was an effort to mine uranium around Richmond. Um, That was one of the first environmental fights I was involved in. It was probably almost 20 years ago now, but we fought it off and um, we have a moratorium on uranium mining. Well, now we've got these big multinational companies, mostly Canadian, Coming in and prospecting for gold, and zinc, and um, copper in Virginia. So, so copper. I think it's been thirty years or forty years that we've mined copper in Virginia. So, what what laws do we have on the books? What guardrails do we have in place? And. Um, I actually had a bill that I'm going to reintroduce a very interesting bill to ban the use of cyanide in mining in Virginia as uh, it's, it's not being used, but to head off the possibility that um, we get companies that come in and try to mine and try to put use cyanide, which we do not want getting into our water supply. So um it, it's a it's a little bit of a a, a detailed um, uh, issue, but um, I think it's important. You know, I mean, we have we have a um, hundred legislators in the House of Delegates, and we all need to find our niche. We all have to find that specific thing that we can ma- keep an eye on and make a difference in, um, because somebody's got to. Be watching these these mining operations and making sure that it's not going to pollute our water supply, and that's just one of the those kind of specialty areas I've been focused on.
0: Well, that's so int- yeah. You know, first of all, thank you so much for you know for even doing the research to you know, to find out about this and being proactive and working to you know try to prevent this because even though like you said it's not happening right now, it could.
1: Exactly. And then the the other issue that um, I've been working on, um, I I work closely with unions and uh, I had the railroad workers um, come to me and say, hey, there's this railroad safety bill that passed in another state. There have been some of these safety bills that have passed in Republican states. Why don't we try to do a Railroad Safety and Security Act here in Virginia? So I I introduced the bill and unfortunately the bill failed on party lines, but three weeks later, the toxic train derailment happened in Ohio. And all of a sudden everybody's talking about um, railroad safety. And I think that's another very um, specific area where we we need to pay attention. Uh, We need to make sure that, it hasn't become more um, financially um, attractive to ship toxic materials on rails instead of on highways. We want to have parity. We want the, the safety pr- protocols on highways to be similar to railroads so that we don't get all of the toxic material going to railroads. Um, I, th- I think we want to make sure that trains don't get too long just because they can. Um, when it used to be, um, that, oh gosh, let me see if I can remember the, the numbers, but, um, trains used to basically be about half as long as they are now. (laughs) They've gotten, trains have gotten longer over the years. And, um, there's also a push to have a one person crew instead of a two, two people driving the train. And, um, that's another important thing to make sure for people, for, for safety of, of bystanders that you always have two people so that one person can stay in the cockpit and the other one can deal with an emergency situation every now and then, um, a train operator is going to have to uncouple the train to let safety vehicles go through. And you can't do that if you only have one person driving the train. So, um, that that's another issue that's going to continue to be debated in the General Assembly.
0: Well, overall, that's just so interesting. And you mentioned earlier that, of course, you collaborate with all of your colleagues within the, you know the House of Delegates and overall in the General Assembly. And so, how has it been being able to meet your you know, your fellow lawmakers, and especially in, you know, the Virginia General Assembly, the oldest continuous. You know, legislative body in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, how cool is that?
1: <laughs> you know, it it has been um, a real joy to get to know my my colleagues. Uh, we we have folks who do so many different occupations. Um, it's been fascinating. We we have um, social workers. We have bankers. We have um, computer scientists. We have a lot of um, agri- people in agricultural fields. Um, I've I've enjoyed getting to know some several of my colleagues that are cattle ranchers and um, you know doing cattle futures trading on the stock exchanges. I mean, fascinating stuff. And um, I'm I'm really um, proud that I have been able to work across party lines and find connections. Um, on the other side of the aisle, we formed a bipartisan, a career and technical education caucus. And um, I know that um, we've got a lot of shared passion around connecting kids to careers and um, you know, supporting big industries like Newport News Shipbuilding, um, that just, they, they need scale. They need a lot of students who have um, STEM and who have um, engineering and math backgrounds um, in order to, um, you know, build the the next generation carrier. Um, They're they're planning, you know, they're one of new producer building is one of the few industries they're they're not just planning for 10 years down the line. they're, They're planning for like 40 years down the line. And they know that investing in education right now is, means they're literally investing in their workforce in the future. So um, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to work with Newport New Shipbuilding and just to see how broad a consensus we have around the importance of workforce and um, career and technical education across the state.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And I know that you've been a long advocate for you know, career technical education, even being the former chair of the board for New Horizons as well. <laughs>
1: Yep, we've seen each other at the signing days that they do, where um, where students announce which company they're gonna they're gonna work for. Um, it's it, we've got we've got a lot of talent here in um, on the peninsula when it comes to to workforce and, and a lot of people putting their energies and um, figuring out uh, how to connect kids to careers. Uh, including uh, our former superintendent, Dr. Kilgore, is uh, and uh, Councilman John Ely. They have an amazing organization called What's Next, and um, they've they've had meetings where they bring uh, together employees and job seekers. And these events are hugely uh, popular. Hundreds and hundreds of people, lines going out the door. Um, you know, to make to make those career connections.
0: Well, I'm so glad that, you know, that we just have so many different amazing individuals and organizations that are working to enhance the amazing education that we have here within, you know, Newport News, as well as the Commonwealth of Virginia. And even though we are wrapping up, I did actually want to ask. So so I saw just, you know, a couple months ago that, you know, when you're not in Richmond, you know, working for, you know, for our residents, that sometimes you're also substitute te- teaching now.
1: <laughs> well, yes, I, I am I am a substitute teacher officially for Newport News. I um I spent um a week in the in the fall, um working with Spanish students over at Menchville High School. Uh, it was um a, a wonderful experience. But I I have to say, um the class size really varied. Like some of the classes would come in my classroom with, with 21 kids and it was, it was great, it was easy, it was fine. Because um, my teaching style is very much interactive where if we're gonna learn Spanish, they, we're doing a lot of movement, we're doing pantomime to try to remember card games, everything to try to memorize the vocabulary. And then I would get a class of like 28 kids that would come through the door and it was like we couldn't move around. It was hard to hear. So, you know, um, I, I think class, it taught me that class size really does matter. And and also just that, you know, I, I was teaching in a trailer. Man, I mean, under-resourced schools, why, why, why do we still have trailers? Why can't we, as the Commonwealth of Virginia, invest what we need to invest to rebuild crumbling schools, to, um, you know... Why can't all of our high schools look like Christopher Newport University? Why not? Um, And I I think it it takes some um, courage at the state level to say, we have to get involved. We can't expect localities to fund, completely fund school buildings. It's literally impossible for them to borrow the money they need um, to renovate all the schools that need to be renovated. we, as a city, have to keep our credit rating up. It's just like a credit card. There's only so much you can borrow. So there's only so much the city of Newport News can borrow. That means the state of Virginia has to step in, and we have to create some kind of system to make sure we can rebuild some of these these school buildings. Um, it's It's... You know, I, I have been traveling and I've been to other states. I've been to Ohio, and believe me, they, they fixed up their schools in Ohio. And we need to figure out how we can do it in Virginia as well.
0: Well, that's you know, such interesting insight, you know, especially for you. You know, like I said visiting back the classroom and working and out of curiosity, so for you being in there and you know, and substitute teaching after, you know, being a teacher, how was it sort of revisiting that years later, especially having had all these experiences between then and now?
1: <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I think you just, in life, you, you end up accumulating, you know, stories to tell. And now as um, a woman who's been through the ringer in politics, and and been humbled by a tied election, I I had some stories to tell, that's for sure. And um, I think the students were were interested in in my life experience. Um, Just seeing the difference that technology makes, um, you know, there was an issue with phones. Uh, The students wanted to be on their phones, and we had to have those conversations constantly about um when they could use their phones, when they couldn't. Um, there was some technology in the classroom. Um, did the technology work all the time? Um, you know, I think that's that's going to be moving forward something that um policymakers really need to think through is the role of technology in the classroom. And um you know if technology is going to continually update, is that is that where we want to be spending our 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 funds is um, continually changing out laptops or is it maybe more important to uh, replace the trailers and um, rebuild the infrastructure? You know, um, I, I don't know the answers to those things, but those those questions came to my mind when I was back in the classroom. <laughs>
0: Well, like I said before, this has just been such a great conversation and like and this has just been so fun. So thank you so much, you know, delegate Simons for coming on here and speaking with us. This has just been like I said, truly delightful.
1: Oh, well, I I appreciate you, Brandon. I've known you for a long time since I was on the school board and followed your career. And so, you know, this is as much about you know, supporting you and your, the amazing things that you've been doing, and um, you know, I'm I'm always I'm always happy to talk to you and to talk to my constituents. I think this is um, an awesome opportunity. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, of course, and thank you. And yeah, you know, and to leave us out, I did have two final questions for you, and that is for anyone who is looking to find out more information about you or your campaign or potentially following you online, where is the best place for them to do so?
1: So I would direct everyone to my website. Um, we have just updated it. And uh, it for simons4delegate.com. S-I-M-O-N-D-S-F-O-R delegate.com. Or you can just go to my name. That also works. Shelley simons.com and when you're there you can sign up for our newsletter and for um, emails from us we do um, a couple different types of emails during the session we send out newsletters which are like play-by-plays of legislation going through budget negotiations meetings that i'm having with constituents we send those every week during session outside of session, um, we send them every quarter. And then in a campaign year, that's when um, people will get a lot of the um, campaign emails about um, fundraising and events and Canvas launches and things happening. So um, signing up is just a good way to keep in touch. Um, My official email for the House of Delegates is Dell S. Simons at house.virginia.gov. And that's a good place to get in touch with us if you have um, state level issues, if um, you're having trouble getting an appointment with the DMV, if you have an employment issue, any state level things, um, my office is happy to help you with. Um, there is also a PAGE program. In the state of Virginia that we are um, looking to get more people from Newport News involved in, and that is for 13- and 14-year-olds to apply to, the PAGE program, so anyone interested in that. The PAGE program is um, an immersive experience that takes place in January and February. And the students actually live in Richmond, and they work in the General Assembly, and then they have school at night. So it is a very intense experience. But um, we're we're definitely interested in um, helping people apply for the PAGE program. And then finally, we, we do have an internship program going on right now on the campaign side <laughs> and, um, you know, anyone who is interested in that uh, internship e- experience can also um, send us an email. Um, another good email for us is contact at simons4delegate.com.
0: Well, overall, I hope that everyone who is watching and listening definitely goes, checks out. and meet, you know, the amazing resources that Delegate Simons has. And then, and then certainly last but not least, I did want to say for anyone who is inspired by what you had to say today, what is the message that you have for those watching or listening to help close us out?
1: <laughs> well, I always have the same message. It's become my slogan. Every vote counts. <laughs> I think it's really important for people to register to vote to participate in um, our democracy. And I I hope that um, if you're 18, you will register. Um, I hope that if you're new to the area, you will re-register. It's actually very easy to um, kind of manage your voter registration online at votevirginia.gov. Um, they, we have a lot of new laws that, um, make it so that you can, um, vote absentee. Um, you can vote early. We have early voting in Virginia. We, we have voting on Sunday in Virginia and, um, we have a really cool thing now, this permanent voter absentee list that, um, you can sign up. So if you, Um, If you know, like, you're going away to college and you might not be in town to vote, you can sign up for the permanent absentee voter registration list. If you um, are a senior citizen and you're just not really up for driving to the polls, um, then you can sign up for this. So I I do encourage everybody um, who likes absentee voting to consider that permanent absentee voter list. And so that's just my, I guess that's my closing statement is please participate in our democracy. Um, please get involved and, um, you know, come out and vote November 7. Uh, it's, it's a really important election. We have elections all the time in Virginia. It's so fun. Everybody gets to put in their two cents every two years. Um, so anyway, I, um, I just... I guess that would be my, my, my parting statement is, is get involved in elections, but also just get involved in your community, um, be a leader, whether it be with your church or your community group or um, a nonprofit you care about, um, just, just get involved.
0: Well, that's just such an important message. Thank you again, Delegate Simons, for all that you do and for supporting the amazing people in our Commonwealth.
1: Of course. Of course. It was great to talk to you.
0: You as well. For those of you watching or listening, thank you all so much for tuning in, as always, and continue tuning in next week as we continue on our mission to bring people together. I'll see y'all later. Take care.
1: Thank you.